Welcome to Lead with Less, the podcast for confident professionals with me, your host, Tash Peterson, Certified Leadership and Mindset Coach. This is the podcast for confident professionals that will help you move through overwhelm, burnout and self-doubt by sharing actionable strategies and practical steps that can have an immediate impact for you. With a mix of solo and guest episodes, I will share everything I've learned and applied over the last decade that has enabled me to create an extremely successful HR career and since then a profitable and thriving coaching business, all while blending it with everyday life and motherhood. I've also coached and empowered over 150 clients through one-on-one coaching and group programs to transform their lives and careers using these strategies. They now confidently thrive as their best selves and now I want you to have access to all of the goods too. This is the perfect spot if you're new to your career, a seasoned professional or aspiring into a people leadership role and want to lead with less so you can live and work with more confidence, clarity and energy. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Lead With Less. I am so excited about today's guest episode. It is with Brittany Wilde from Elite Mind Co. And we are talking about becoming elite, living a high-performance life. And I'm really excited about this episode because it's not what we are led to believe about being elite or about being high-performance. It's not about being in the athletic world. This is about living a full, aligned congruent life. And I really love how Brittany shares her story and shares everything about what this means for her and how it comes to life for her. So I'm just going to share a little brief bio of Brittany before we jump into the episode. Brittany Wilde is a brain health practitioner, high performance coach, and a strength and conditioning coach of over 15 years. She works with individuals who would like to live their vision of a high-performance life by addressing their behaviors, actions, thoughts, habits, and brain systems to gear them in the direction of their vision using applied neuroscience. And she lives up to it, absolutely lives up to it. I really, really hope you enjoy this episode. I specifically asked Brittany on because I know as high-performing professionals, as high-achieving professionals, living a full potential life is what you most likely really want and this episode is going to help you learn some really simple tools and strategies to apply to help bring this to life right now hello hello Britt oh I'm so excited to have you on lead with less I actually can't believe that you're here I'm so excited I feel so honored For those who don't know, Britt is someone I've been following for a really long time. She's moved through many shifts, many identity changes, which I know she's going to talk about today. And it's something that I've really admired. And recently you've shifted into really focusing on becoming elite, tapping into the highest potential of who we are, kind of tapping into the best version of ourselves in a really neuroscience evidence-based way, which I really love. So that's where I, what I want to talk to you about because I know that so many of the people listening to Lead With Less are people who are high achievers. They want to do great things. They want to be successful. They want to have it all. They want to try and do it all. And a lot of that comes at the compromise of something else and usually of the self, right? Of the, the self-health, the self-well-being, the self-love. And so I know that what you can share with, with the listeners will be really, really beneficial. So to kick us off, please share your journey. What's led you here? And I know it's quite the journey, so you can, quite the journey. You can, you can choose to, to cap it how you like. <laughs> yeah, um, 
obviously I want to make this in the context of the people that are listening to make it like super, super relevant. So I'll give you like the tidbits of how I kind of got to this point. But essentially, I think probably similar to a lot of your community, I would see myself as someone throughout like my high schooling, um, just my teenage years, and maybe even younger as being someone who was like a high achiever. I was really driven by academics. I was super driven by sport. I was quite good at sport. So I started getting a lot of recognition. I started getting into a lot of teams and a lot of representative kind of positions. I was captaining things. So I was in leadership roles in my school and in my sporting teams. And so that kind of high performance or high achieving life was part of me from a a really young age. And then I guess, again, probably like a lot of your community, it comes at a cost. Hmm. It comes at a cost. And that cost was I am not connecting with people of my own age. I'm barely ever at school. I'm either recovering because I've been, you know, I I lived in a country town. So I was traveling to the closest city to compete. And it was just starting to come at the cost of a lot of things. I was tired all the time. I was run down all the time. I wasn't socializing. I didn't do normal teenage things. Like I was living quite a restrictive self-created. I absolutely created this because I wanted to perform. Mm. Uh, Like no one pressured me into this, right? Like this was all me. Um, And then I found my way into a relationship when I was 16, almost 17 with someone who was not the best for me. It was at a really interesting time of my life when my my family of origin was kind of breaking apart. My parents separated. My brother had moved out of home. Like my identity as I knew it really shattered. And I went seeking things that would make me feel alive again. And I found my way into this relationship. This relationship took me down a pretty harrowing path, I would say, where it was quite abusive. It was definitely not elite, definitely not high performing. And I found myself dropping out of high school. Um, Mm -hmm. I had topped my class and my year level in year 11. And then in my final year of school, I did three weeks and I was basically like, you know, I'm out, I'm out of here. Yeah. (laughs) I'm out of here to put it politely. But the best part is that my parents weren't happy about it, but my dad was always really like quite a shining light for me. He was very entrepreneurial, very business-minded. And he was like, all right, if you're going to do this, you got to figure out a career. He's mm-hmm. like, I don't, I don't care if you leave. I care what you do with it now. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to find the things. I'm going to follow the things that I already know I love. So I went and did um, a traineeship at a local um, karate gym. Ooh. And yeah, I know. So insane. I know nothing about karate, just to be really clear. <laughs> it's not my zone. And I started working there, found I really loved it and started taking personal training sessions in my local park. As I saw all of my friends going off to high school, I was working out of the same park and I started making some cash. From here, I got quite business-minded, quite entrepreneurial and ended up saving quite a bit of money, bought a house, decked out my garage, built a personal training studio and actually started running like quite a successful business. That was probably my taste of, that's also when I found my way back into my sport. So I had this little reprieve there where I really lost my way. I felt what that felt like to not feel successful, to not be high achieving, to not be performing, to not be in the right circles, to not be around the right people. I really, really felt that to the depths of my being. And through this career path, found my way back. Mm. And so really started on this kind of business entrepreneurial journey. From there, I did a lot of competing. Uh, I was an athlete. 
day in, day out. I was working around athletes. I was working with professional sporting teams, junior athletes that were high performing. I was in school systems, helping them with their strength and conditioning. And so I really found my way into these places where I was working with people who just wanted to perform, Mm -hmm. who really wanted to perform. And it just lit me up so much. Like it was just the being around people who want to do great things. I was like, this is it for me. I don't actually care what you want to achieve. I care that you want to achieve in the Mm. first place. Uh, So I then went off and had babies and met my husband, did all of those things and found my way back into entrepreneurship, but this time through more of a business lens. And that's where I found you. (laughs) That's where we found each other. And that's where I met a lot of the people that I'm around now, which was this digital, online, marketing, business, personal development uh, kind of area. And I guess over the last five or six years, I've slowly brought together that skill set of bringing my athletic past with my business knowledge, with my study and my work in applied neuroscience, uh, neuropsychology, all of these things. And I've kind of brought them all together and they've landed in what is now the Elite Mind Code, where I help people live really high-performing lives. Oh, I love it. And what I love the most is how varied, like how varied your journey has been and how not varied in it I know know that sounds very silly for me to say it's like but you just said it's varied but what I mean by that is like something that I talk about with my clients is like purpose right like Mm. your purpose oftentimes doesn't change like your sense of purpose doesn't change the way you bring your purpose to life that changes may change you know depending on what job you take depending on what industry you work in and what really shone through to everything that you just talked about was like your purpose was high performance your purpose was living a really attuned life of tapping into your potential and there was a there was a period where that wasn't you know at the forefront and you felt the the disconnect so important to feel the contrast right because it's like totally and I was actually just talking about this with my coach this morning of I have to experience the contrast to know what it is that I really do want because if I don't fully know what I don't want I can't clearly go 100%. absolutely this is what I want but anyway that's a whole other thing we can go into it's a whole other thing <laughs> but I guess what I would love to hear is like when you talk about high performance when you talk about being elite what does that actually mean like what why is it important why is it something that we even need to be thinking about yeah I guess the biggest misconception that I hear from people is well I'm not an athlete mm-hmm. and so I don't really need to be elite I'm like Elite doesn't contain itself or isn't contingent on you moving your body in a particular way. Living a high performance life is about what do I value the most in this world? Like what are my actual core values and how closely am I living in accordance with that? Like, am I pushed right up against my values? Am I illustrating and demonstrating through my daily actions, my behaviors, my beliefs, my thoughts, my conversations, my boundaries, what I stand for, what I believe in? Is that an actual representation of what I'm saying that I value? Is there a coherence between what I'm doing, what I'm saying, what I'm thinking, what I'm believing? Because I know a lot of people who are, for example, achieving on paper, and then their values are over here as this enigma that they can't quite touch, that stays quite elusive, that they can't connect to because, oh, well, I'm achieving in the eyes of whoever or whatever. Mm. But there's this dissonance or this disconnect between what they actually value the most. So my version of high performance is, am I actually living what I value? Am I living my vision in real time every day? 
And that's not to say you won't deal with challenge. It's also, do I have the skill set to meet challenge with grace, with conviction, with confidence, with self-trust? Like all of those things encompass what it is to be a high performer in your life. Because when you think about high performance in life, I would love all of your, your listeners to just have a think about the vast contrast of what they're experiencing every single day of their lives. Like it's getting the lunch boxes ready in the morning, or it's getting the kids to school, or it's getting out to the gym, or it's getting to work, or it's being in that meeting, or it's having that hard conversation with your boss, or it's hiring someone new, or it's did it like all of these. Are you doing that in a way that is representative of the kind of person that you want to be? Because that's high performing to me. Like I could go out and I could run a PB on the track, but can I have a hard conversation with my husband? Mm. I could eat a beautiful nourishing meal that's got the perfect macros on my plate, but can I regulate myself when shit hits the fan? Because high performance isn't restricted to simply one area of your life. It's not restricted to how you perform on the track or in the gym. It's it's the entirety of your life, the totality yeah. of what you're you're experiencing in your life. Can I do this in a way that is representative of who I want to be and who I am? Oh, God, it like hits you right in the soul. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, it really does. And I, lo- I really love that explanation because it's, yeah, it's like, am I performing at the level that makes me feel my best in every area? Because what you say is so true, right? Like we fixate on performance in one area yep. to the compromise or the detriment of another, but that 100%. then that's not high performance. It's not. That's that's compartmentalized high performance, but that's not yes. high performance of of whole life. And no. that's actually that's draining, right? Because what you're talking about, like being in congruence with your values, being in congruence with who you are and who you say that you want to be, that actually takes less energy yeah. than to be out of congruence. It yes. takes more energy to be in tension with your life, to be in tension with yourself, to be in misalignment. And I think people don't realize that. They don't think about that because that's the brain's easy path. Our brain's lazy. Our brain, like it's all powerful and stuff, but it is also like not super to, helpful unless, you it's, have to train unless it. it's directed. Exactly. Yeah. And that's just something we don't think about. It's, you know, and like another thing, it's like when people don't make decisions, that's making decisions. And that actually wastes a lot of energy. So I really love what you're talking about around the alignment, the congruence, like yeah. the the values pieces is so key. Like a lot of people that I talk to, they're like, oh, but I value family. I really don't want, okay, how many times have you disrupted a family dinner time to answer a work call or to check your emails? Or totally. <laughs> so which one do you really value? Because is your decision doing that or hundred yeah. percent? Like you're no, you're making choices every minute of the day, whether you think you're making them or not. There's this amazing quote, and I cannot think of who says it. I think his name is Shane Parrish or Sean Parrish. And he said, Don't tell me your priorities, show me your calendar. Yes, I've heard that one. I don't care what you're saying that you value. And this is the very first thing I get people to do when I start working with them is don't tell me what you value. Cause your calendar is going to show me what you value. Show me what you're doing. The, show me what you're doing. Mm. So I get people to take a seven-day audit and I call it a values audit. I don't want to know what your values are. I'm going to tell you what I think your values are when I see your calendar. So when it's like get up in the morning and immediately check my phone and then it's rush through breakfast and get grumpy at everyone because I'm running late, 
And then it's get into a meeting, get home, feel exhausted, get takeaway meal and did it. Like, if this is what life looks like, I'm going to tell you what your priorities are. I'm going to tell you what you value. And then you're going to tell me if that's an accurate representation of what you actually think you value, because what you're telling me and what you're showing me aren't incongruence. And that is the most draining thing. I always say to people, you know, what is the biggest thing that stops you from wanting to improve different areas? They're like, I just don't have the time or the energy. And I will always say to them, oh God. (laughs) And I'm like, optimization is the most life-giving thing you'll do. It looks like it takes energy. It will give it to you. When you clarify and when you refine the way you do things, you're going to feel so fulfilled, so boosted, just vitality wise from doing that, like de-optimize things that don't work, just get rid of them, control, alt, delete. Great. Yeah. But like optimizing is going to be the most life-giving thing. The closer you can live to your values, the more energy you will have. And you will see the people success leaves clues. You will see the people who are living truly high performance lives because they, it's like they're high all the time. Mm. Like they are just on one. Or even when something happens that takes them out of that space, the time they spend out of the space is so small. The rebound is just... Exactly. They have the ability to step back in. Um, Exactly. Yeah. I really love what you're saying around the optimizing. You know, it's and actually the time thing. Like the thing I say to people is the only time you don't have is the time you don't make. Like that's... Amen. That's how it works. You know, it's like, oh, when I have time, it's like, I'm sorry, but time's not going to find its way to you. Like that's not how time works. Like a task will expand to whatever time it's given. And usually it takes a long time because it's not given a time frame. You know, it's like, oh, I'll just watch, I'll just watch some TV. That can last hours unless you say, I'm watching one episode before I go and do this. Because then the brain's like, we finish the episode, then there's a choice. Right. Then there's a choice that we about what we do next. Yes. I was listening to this um, podcast interview about Elon Musk and there was a guy who followed him for two years who was just like a journalist and he wrote a book about him. And he said that the most fascinating thing about Elon is that he would go to a meeting and he'd say, we need to, you know, do this thing. How long do you think you need? And they'll be like, oh, there's no way we can do that in less than six months. And he's like, yeah, six days. (laughs) And they would always get it done. Yep. Always get it done. And it's exactly what you're saying. It's like when it becomes the number one priority because you make it such, it will become the thing you find time for. Mm. Well, you make time for. Exactly. It's a need to be an active thing, right? Totally. You're going to make it. You're going to say, actually, that other thing isn't as much of a priority. You move it out Mm. of the way. And it's this constant recalibrating and readjusting of this calendar to make way for what actually matters. And a lot of the time, I think this is such a misconception. People think, well, if I really valued it, it will be easy to make time for. No, it won't. No. (laughs) No, it won't. It's not how it works. It's not how it works. It's simple. It's not not easy. easy. Exactly. You will always work for it. Like you will work to fit in whatever it is that matters to you. It doesn't matter how important it is. You will still work for it. Mm. And it, and I think that's, yeah, you know, it's, it's such a misconception. Oh, well, if, if I really wanted to do it, surely I'd be motivated to do it. No, you probably won't. Um, When that's not an imprint, when that's not a habit, when that's not a template, when that's not a loop that you have built through hard work and grit and determination and perseverance and time, that won't be easy. No matter how much you love it. Exactly. It's, and also motivation is not reliable. Like motivation is not consistent. It's not, and it's fleeting because motivation is based on feeling. And as we know, emotions are, they they ebb and they flow, right? Like 
they yeah. they come and they go whereas consistency and discipline yeah is reliable because that's you showing totally. up you're not waiting for something to come and be like oh I'll do it when no. this and and you're actually like you just triggered that for me and like I'm constantly being challenged of the choices like you know, I work part-time, I've got an 18 month old son, you know, and I do need to fit in when I'm going to exercise. And am I going to take a walk today? Because, you know, he only goes to daycare for these number of hours a day. And every day I need to choose, like, am I going to spend 15 minutes doing more emails or doing this thing that I'm getting caught up in that actually doesn't matter? Or am I going to go and do a 15 minute workout? Because I know that's going to give me capacity to deal with my 18 month old personality son <laughs> for the next four hours before bedtime, you know? And yes, that is an active choice because by default, my brain will be just keep doing what you're doing because totally. it's least energy. I don't have to change. I don't have to go and do something different. I don't have to move from where I am, but is the choice I'm making now helping me to feel the way that I want to feel? And is it helping me to be the future version of myself that I'm going to thank in four, in four hours time? Yeah, totally. <laughs> when I want to pull my hair out because I'm trying to put my son to sleep. <laughs> mom, because mum life takes over. Yeah, I mean, motivation follows commitment. And motivation is an automatic byproduct of progress. Like we feel more motivated when we experience the compound effect of progress and progress is a byproduct of commitment and showing up before you feel ready. Like they're all of the things that really work. And it's like that delayed gratification piece. It's all of those things that kind of come together and that uh, you, you spoke to something then, which is like, my brain just wants to keep doing what it's doing. It's like, yeah, because the brain can't possibly take in all of the information in its environment. And so it's constantly looking to take shortcuts. It's constantly looking to preserve energy. And so it avoids task switching as much as humanly possible. And it just wants to keep doing the same thing unless it comes to distraction. And then that's yeah. a completely different thing. And that's usually around like, no, no one's actually distracted. People are actually just actively avoiding the emotions that they're feeling when they're doing something hard. Like, I don't want to feel what I'm feeling. And therefore I'd like to not feel what I'm feeling. I'm going to do something that will numb that feeling. And they'll say, oh, it's the, it's the pings, it's the dings, it's the rings. As Nur El says, who wrote Indistractable, he always calls it. It's like, everyone's like, oh, it's, it's the pings, the dings, the rings. It's, it's all these external things. And he did a study on that. It's only 10% of what actually distracts people. 90% really? is what happens. In, yep. Wow. So it's like colleague interruption, phones, emails, notifications, 10% of what actually distracts people. The other 90% is what happens in your internal environment, meaning what's happening inside your body. I'm writing something. I'm feeling stuck. I don't fucking like it. <laughs> I'm going to go and just like go to my phone. And so we say, it's my phone. It's actually you. Oh you my did gosh. That. This is like hitting me right in the brain right now because yep. I don't have notifications on my phone at yep. all. Um, and I I utilize like iPhone have the different profiles so you can put like work mode, do not disturb, yep. you know, personal time. I can't say that the ping gets me because I don't have pings on anywhere. I don't even have yeah. pings on my laptop. And mm -hmm. it really goes to what you're saying. Like I was writing a proposal this morning and I was and I was coming to the the money. How much am I going to charge for this proposal? And I'm stretching and it's uncomfortable. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll just like, maybe I'll go to the bathroom. <laughs> maybe I'll just like pick up my phone. And yeah, like it was, I needed to stretch. I needed to do something mm -hmm. slightly uncomfortable that I know I need to do. Nothing came up that distracted me, but mm. my brain was like, yeah, but let's not. 
let's yeah. go do something easier like check instagram that literally totally. in the last five minutes <laughs> the root of all distraction is a feeling we don't want to feel yeah i love like. that oh i love that so coming back to high performance coming yes. back to being elite being in congruence with the self you know kind of tapping into the best version of ourselves what are some of the signals or signs that listeners might see or they might notice or maybe you just need to start noticing that change is needed like what might be things that people are experiencing seeing or feeling that they're not living at that high performance life really basic things and this is just going to be such a basic answer which is extreme tiredness anxiety low mood lack of enthusiasm or excitement for the things that you're doing a little bit of social disconnection, not wanting to socialize, not wanting to connect. And I mean, beyond the normal, I'm an introvert stuff because that's me. But um, I, I mean, beyond that, I mean, like I have amazing people around me who are inviting me to do really cool things and I don't want to see them. Like mm. that, that's a major sign. And feeling like life is not enough. Like when you get to that point where you're like, it's the next thing, it's the next thing, it's the next thing. It's the, and I'm a huge proponent for drive seeking improvement, um, wanting to grow and evolve, being uncomfortable. I'm a big proponent for all of that. But when you're doing it because you think that there's some form of happiness in the next level that you can't have now, that's a really big problem. And that's huge for high achievers, right? Which I feel like will really hit mm. for a lot of your listeners, which is that lack of enjoyment. And I don't say contentment because I am anti-contentment, but like I, I think when you can't enjoy and appreciate what is, mm. there's a huge, huge disconnect. It means that there is a major disconnection between you and, and your values. Mm. It means that you're not living them. They would be my biggest signs. Yeah, when people say, I don't know, like everything in my life looks pretty good, but I really don't feel like that. <laughs> yeah, or I have a really great job and I just don't feel like going. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, oh, my relationship, like it was good, but it kind of just like, eh, you know, yeah. and you say like, it's a really basic example, mm. but as we know, the basic things are the most overlooked things, you right. know, and this is the other thing, right? Like with being busy, ambitious, high achieving professionals, like the basic things, are the things that we're not seeing, they're the things that we're not paying attention to because there is more to do. Like there is, yeah. there's always the next thing. And this it's hard to kind of differentiate between the pull of the workload never ends. There is always the next thing and you making your enjoyment, satisfaction and happiness of life conditional on the next thing. Yeah. When your happiness is contingent on the next achievement, you've got a major, major problem. Major. Mm. And yep. we're not saying that too. <laughs> <laughs> to to cause like too much you know anxiety but I guess <laughs> nothing changes if nothing changes right and yeah. we need to notice right like so how can people start that awareness you know if, if people are just so busy I hate that word I talk about being full because if you're full you tend to not over full <laughs> you tend to stop it's, yes <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. but what is your strategy or your tool for yeah. people to notice the basic things like you yeah. know yeah tiredness but to what point is tiredness a problem because hashtag I haven't had an uninterrupted night's sleep in 18 months go we're all tired yeah <laughs> but I wouldn't say that I'm like you know I'm going on seven now exhausted, <laughs> exhausted. 
Yeah. Hey, it's not a competition. Okay. If it was though, I'd win. <laughs> my my eighteen my eighteen months is valid. <laughs> no, it is. It's true. And you know what? Every everyone's tired. Like it's hard being a human on the planet, right? Like oh. it's just a, it's a lot. Yeah. It um, is a lot. So I think you hit something really, really important before, which was around this, um, it's the simple things. And the reason that a lot of people don't do the simple things is because they're so simple. They're easy to do, which means they're also easy not to do. Oh, yes. yes. I don't think I've ever said it that way. That's Mm. really powerful. It is because everyone's like, oh, well, it's just that. Like, like surely that can't make a really big difference. I'll give you a really great example of this. I had all this digestive ish these digestive issues for like years couldn't figure it out um i went to see a beautiful nutritionist called steph low um who i recommend to everyone and we'll she put it said, in the show notes put it in the show notes she's great the natural nutritionist on instagram um and she said to me do you take breaths before you eat and i was like well i'm breathing every minute of the day what do you mean <laughs> and she said no i mean like deep intentional three seconds in, three seconds out, parasympathetic nervous system activating breaths. Do you do that before you eat? And I was like, definitely not. I eat on the fly. She's like, can you start doing that? And I, in my head, I was like, sure. Uh, like out loud, I was like, sure. And then in my head, I was like, that sounds dumb. <laughs> and why, <laughs> why would I, I Why would I intentionally breathe when I just breathe normally? <laughs> exactly. Why would I take time out of my day? And in my head, I obviously, like I work with applied neuroscience. I clearly know the value of being in the parasympathetic nervous system for digestion. But because I was so addicted to like pursuit and achievement and growth, I was like, why would I slow my life down? Mm-hmm. So I started that. Lo and behold, my digestive symptoms decreased, like I would say 50% overnight. Wow. Insane, right? Because, and it makes sense. It makes sense on a physiological level why being in a parasympathetic state to digest would be helpful because that's when that happens. Yep. So if you're, that, that, you, need it, you need to be there, right? So it means that everything can digest and process and you have like this different cascade of physiological effects when you do that. Hugely important, right? But for me, I was like, it's so simple. It sounds like it can't possibly have enough of an impact. So I really wanted to ignore it, but I also really love an experiment. So I also thought I'd give it a try. Okay. So it's, it's that understanding of if you are someone who's like, I am a go-getter, I am like hooking into my career and you hear these like minuscule pieces of advice and your first thought in your internal self says, it's too simple. It won't work. It sounds silly. Why would I do that? I just want you to notice that. <laughs> That's the first thing. I want you to notice where you resist the simple. I want you to notice where you resist the tiny little incremental changes. Because ultimately what we know is about this effect called the power of tiny gains, which is that when we look at people who say, right, I'm going to change everything. Let's take exercise as an example. They say, I'm going to start exercising tomorrow. They set their alarm at six o'clock and they're like, I'm just going to get up and I'm just going to do a workout. An hour-long workout. An hour-long workout. And they they do it every day for five days. They have this steep improvement. And they're like, oh, my God, I'm amazing. But it's completely unsustainable because there is too much of a contrast between present-day self and the identity they've built over years. Mm. There's too much of a contrast between brain and mind that they have a rebound effect. And that rebound effect gives them a really steep drop-off. Where And this is why people who start things on January 1 have typically fallen off the wagon by like the 20th. And it's not sustainable because there's no strategy behind it. So that 
what what we see is this huge improvement with a steep drop off. What we see when people have this like strategic implementation of new habits and incremental changes is we always have this like one percent better every day. Mm-hmm. Right? We all we want is one percent better every day. It's really hard for people to start that way. It's really easy to, for people to maintain when they're in month four, five, mm-hmm. six, seven. So it's easy in the long run. It's hard in the short term, which is obviously why people don't like it. Mm -hmm. they don't see enough progress straight away. But what we know is when we look over the course of 12 months, 365 days, those people that do the really steep improvement and then the steep drop-off, they will have a minus 3% return on that investment. What we know about people who have a 1% better everyday improvement, they'll have a plus 38% improvement over the course of 365 days. Mm. So the power of tiny gains is really important. So it's like a 1% better every day. So where I would begin is I would be looking at doing a values audit. I'd be looking at how am I actually spending my time? And then what does this illustrate to me about what, I, what I'm actually demonstrating that I value? And then I would check that off with what you actually value. Mm. what do you value? What are you demonstrating that you value? And then I'd be looking at just picking one to two things. Let's say, for example, you really value health, but you recognize that you're not exercising at all, or you really value health, but like you're getting takeaway five Mm -hmm. nights a week. Like when you see that really big dissonance, I'd be looking at those things and I'd be like, okay, I'm going to add in one walk on a Sunday. Okay. I'm going to cook a roast on a Sunday when I get home from my walk, I'm going to stack the habit on top. And then the next day I'm going to have that for leftovers. And all of a sudden you've kind of done two meals that you would normally get takeaway and you fit in one exercise, a one exercise session, and you've got improvement. And what you're seeing there is this progress and you're illustrating from the brain to the mind. So the mind uses the brain to create itself. Mm. The actions that you're taking with your brain are saying, that identity that we have about ourselves, that's actually not in- entirely true. And I'm going to just challenge that. And you're going to do that consistently enough that the identity starts changing and we start seeing more of a marriage between our demonstrations mm-hmm. and our values. So it's these tiny things. And usually it's awareness. And the thing that helps with awareness is taking taking stock. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a daily journal. What are my actions? What am I doing? How am I spending my time? It's like that awareness piece is so important. The people who are the most high-performing are they the most self-aware people because they know how they're spending their time and what they're able to do is to say, is this a match for the values that I have? What's the trade-off? What's the payoff? Mm. They're able to do that for all of their actions and they're able to do it in real time. Yeah, and that's ultimately I, where we want to get to. Yeah, I love that. Like, first of all, just the audit piece, you know, where are we at? And doing that with so much compassion and grace and non-judgment because yep if you're a high achiever you tend to audit with criticism oh yep. this isn't working oh this isn't working and oh here's another thing I'm not doing well and blah, 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 blah. not helpful it's not helping right. us to move towards who we want to be so yeah doing that with such love and compassion and going you know what how can I be curious like oh okay this is just like can I accept what is this is what is This is what I've been doing up until this point. Now I can decide, is this what I want to continue doing? Is this who I want to continue to be? And this is, you know, the power of deciding. Like it's the decision, right? Like when we actively make a decision, there's power there. There's power behind that, you know? And as you say, like, if you value exercise, like value health and you want to exercise, when you don't want to exercise, the question becomes, 
is me not exercising going to help me be the person I want to be? Exactly. Because that doesn't become, do I feel like exercising? Because we can't trust the feeling. You won't feel like exercising. (laughs) You literally won't. You won't feel like it. I've just started cold plunging with my husband. And every time I feel like that, I don't want to. Like I did it like 20 minutes before we jumped on this recording. And I was like, I need need to fit it in. Because I know that if I don't do it now, I won't do it this afternoon. Because Jake will be awake and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I've gotten to the point now where like I would spend five minutes saying how terrible it is and it's cold and I don't want to do it now I'm just like get my legs in and I'm like I, I'm wasting energy telling myself that this is hard mm. just sit down and be freaking cold for three yeah. minutes and then you're done exactly <laughs> it's, the less, it's like less time of talking myself out of it than it just yes. takes to do it and I love what you're illustrating here because can I share a little practice with you for when this yeah, happens because I'm sure your people that I mean, every single person in the entirety of humanity will have an experience like this, which is where they're doing something like a values audit and they want to do it in a way that's critical. So my suggestion is I have to look at it like it's data. Mm. So what I like doing is I write it down and then I pretend like it's my husband's data. Or I pretend. Oh, I like it. Separation. Yeah. Yeah. I like to pretend like it's someone else's data. I was like, if this was Tasha's data, what would I be understanding about who she is as a person? So I like to look at it objectively like it's data. Now, of course, that sounds good in theory. What happens when inevitably the little cute part of our brain that likes to have <laughs> have an opinion gets hold of the data and is like, yeah, well, we know it's about you. So I'm going to make it critical or I'm going to make it mean something about you. What do you do then? Because you've got to have a backup plan, right? You've got to have a contingency plan for when the plan A doesn't work. So, of course, yes, we want to look at it like it's neutral data objectively. But when when we can't do that, I do a practice called, is it true? So mm-hmm. this challenge is a little, it, yeah. you've got to challenge it because there's these two parts of, well, there's three parts of the brain, but two in particular that I'll talk about, which is one of them is the chimp system. This is like the limbic part of the brain. It's primitive. It's instinctive. It's like a bit of an asshole, to be honest, a lot of the time. Just trying to keep us alive. Doesn't have much feelings. <laughs> it's motivated by all the drives, the sex drive, the belonging drive, the food drive, anything primitive that's what it's driven by so it's like survival or its sense of belonging or its sense of like access to food or mating or like what any of those things it will go into overdrive and it will get really really loud and it'll make you do instinctive things and it hates unpredictability it dislikes anytime you do something new which is why you go to implement a new habit and the chimp is like hell no (laughs) i am not doing it and it will kick up a stink and it will be really aggressive and it will be reactive. And when people say I'm emotionally dysregulated, what they're really saying is my chimp is dominant. Mm. So then you have this other part of the brain, which is the human system. This comes from the prefrontal cortex. This is the conscious, logical, rational part of you. This is the real you that can consider and can weigh up and can measure things. This is the part of you that's like, if I do this, here's the trade-off, here's the payoff. I'm going to decide what's more important and I'm going to make a decision, right? So Mm -hmm. that's the part that we want to activate. To activate the prefrontal cortex, you have to get it into a rational thinking, way of thinking. So to come out of criticism, which is primitive, coming from the chimp brain, you have to start asking it questions. Mm -hmm. you got to start asking the human part, the the prefrontal cortex, you got to ask it questions. So anytime I'm like, oh my God, let's say I'm looking at it, haven't exercised, haven't eaten well, haven't caught up with friends haven't sent out that birthday message I said I'd sent like ah and I'm starting to get like oh god this I'm, I'm getting really critical I'm a bad person I can't believe I did that I would go okay I'm going to bring the prefrontal cortex forward so 
I would say, what is, what is the dominant thought that I've got right now? I'm a bad friend. Let's say that's the thought. Then I would say, is it true? And you'd say, yes, because you're still in your chimp. <laughs> and then I'd say, what is the data and the facts that represents that honesty? Mm-hmm. And what say, makes that true? What makes like, what are true? your examples? Give yeah. me an example. And not, and it's not feeling based. It's not like, well, I didn't send that message. Okay. But that that's you assuming that that makes you a bad friend. That's not fact. Mm. Right. So I'm a bad friend. Am I a bad friend? Let's say yes. And we say, okay, I didn't send a birthday message on such and such as birthday, even though I could have. And then you might say, um, there was that one time I gossiped about that person. That was da-da-da-da-da. And you list all the things that are horrible, right? And then you'll say, okay, what is the cost of me believing this? Mm-hmm. And then you'll ask, am I willing to pay that cost? Oh, I love that. So is it true? Demonstrate to me how that is true with facts. What is the cost of thinking that? Am I willing to pay that cost? And almost I don't think I've ever actually to this day seen a person be able to get through that entire exercise and continue going with their primitive emotional Mm -hmm. self-judgments and get to the end and still believe that. I've never seen Even just with the facts question, because so so much, so so many times do we think something is factual when it's just an assumption. It's not factual. Yeah, it's just a story we've said about it and then we've made it into fact where it's like, well, actually, no, that's, that's not. You forgetting someone's birthday doesn't make you a bad friend. That might be a fact that you think makes you a bad friend. Makes you human. It makes you human. And it makes you someone be like, okay, my final question to this is, and what am I going to do about it? Mm. That's like my favorite bit. It's like, is that a cost you're willing to pay? No, I'm not willing to pay the cost of like thinking that I'm a bad friend because it's dictating my behavior. Because what I think I become, what I think Mm. I do, I play out, I act out, I do. And so then I'm like, what am I going to do about it? Oh, I'm going to like reach out to that friend and say, I'm so sorry. I actually really could have messaged you. I just kept finding reasons to continue being busy. And I've really reflected on that. And that's not a representation of who I want to be as a person. And I'm really deeply sorry. And I'd love to make this up for you. Can I take you out for coffee? Mm. Because this level of reflection, this it, like it puts you into this human part of you. That human part of you is the real you. It's not like, obsessed with survival and like oh like I'm gonna get left it's not driven by those things it's driven by actually being able to weigh and measure the truth Mm. and your honesty and who you really are and to consider who you want to be because really we can actually create who we are yeah so that practice is really important understanding those things about the brain that like the values audit plus the is it true practice honestly if you could start with those things your life well, change. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, what are the top three things that you could recommend people start with? And I absolutely think the values audit. Like, actually look at your calendar. Um, I was actually just talking to, <laughs> to my OBM this week, and I was like, I very much underplan. <laughs> I underplan like how long things will take, or I just forget to put stuff into my plan. And then that's when mm-hmm. I get caught out because then I go and make a decision to do something else. And then I'm like, oh shit, but I didn't do this. And then I get caught in the overwhelm and the worry and the anxiety and blah, blah, blah. Yes. Um, so that's something that I realized was like, that's what my calendar was telling me. I was, I was actually under planning and that was having an effect. And this is, this is also like an interesting thing when it comes to how we utilize time and, and values audits can actually really bring this to life as well is is the way that you plan and organize your life actually supportive to the person that you want to be? Is it supportive exactly. to your value system? Because 
this is also where it's really important for professionals or the people listening to this podcast is something that happens when we enter the corporate world is we become, we mimic. We're extremely impressionable. We've just come Mm -hmm. out of university or we've just pivoted into a corporate space and we become extremely impressionable right like we and then we mimic it's like oh but that person's doing this and they look successful and oh but this person Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden we're just we're creating templates as you talk about that isn't actually our own it's not an intentional template of who we want to be how we want to feel how we want our life to look um how we want to utilize time and you know all of those things Mm -hmm. so you know again like that values audit like actually question is the way that I'm organizing my life helping me to be the way that I want to be, you know, like, and how much more do I need to plan to be more active in my decision-making versus being like, oh, but it'll happen. because Yeah. <laughs> and this touches on something really great, which is there are so many different versions of self. I think people get very, very, very obsessed with the idiocratic self. Mm. So we have these, like all of these many parts of us, the idiogenic self, which is like those nuances and those preferences and those quirks, like how you like to do things. Like you're either more of a planner or you're not so much a planner. And then there's your biogenic self. It's like your DNA and your imprinting and your genes and the things that you've like pulled through. It's like why you look like your dad or why you look like your mom, right? It's these, these things. Uh, and then you have your sociogenic self, which is like your culture or your conditioning or the way that you've been raised, your environment, what you've been brought up around. And then you have your personal projects, which is essentially what you can consider work, which is that Mm. different parts of you, it's actually the most dominant part of you. The things that you apply yourself to are the thing that actually shape you and your identity the most, which I think people really, really forget or don't even understand. They think I am my idiogenic self. They think however I want to do it is the way that it's meant to do it. So it'll be like, well, I don't plan because I'm not really much of a planner. I'm more of an ease and flow person. I'm like, fantastic but is that actually supporting the personal projects that you deeply care about because if they're not you're going to have to adjust you're going to have to become a planner for example i was not strategic would never have considered myself oh my myself, god me too that was my whole never. 2023 focus <laughs> so hilariously about 10 years ago i did the strengths finder um mm-hmm. thing the clifton strengths finder i did that i had my top 5 and i was like yep they're so me so me it was like activator um what else was it oh my god or just all of the like big dynamic energy ones right where it was like get things done move 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 I did it again this year and my top strength was strategic and I thought that was hilarious because it was my second to bottom the first time I did it it's my top now the reason is because my personal projects have demanded that I develop that as a skill and now it's become part of who I am it's actually one of the strongest parts of me now so I think that's really important to remember that like, yeah, is your life actually set up to support who you want to be and the way that you want to live? And if you're like, oh, that's not accessible to me because I'm not like that. Great. Become that. Learn how to be that. Develop that skill. Put yourself in rooms with people who are like that. I am constantly around people who are like way more strategic than me. I'm like, but I'm strategic in my own specific way, in the way that I see human behavior in the way that I can spot a pattern in the way that I build a plan to do it. Other people can't do that. Great. I'm going to really lean into that. I'm going to get more strategic in that area. And I'm going to grab and learn from all these people around me. So it's like, yes, your preferences. Great. In your personal life, you prefer to like, you know, go for long runs. Great. Do that. If you prefer to go to Pilates, great. Do that. Like, I'm not fussed that you have an idiogenic self. Great. I think you should lean into that as much as you can. And also when you have personal projects that demand these other elements of you, 
It's very important that you can develop them. Uh, yeah. It reminded me of two things that I think are, you, you said, what are the top three things? And I said, the is it true practice, the values audit? And there's two more that are really simple that I think could really help your people. Number one, for anyone trying to change a behavior, develop yourself a rule. So let's say, for example, I'm trying to develop, I'm going to use exercise because it's such a tangible example. Every day when I drop my kids off at school, it's 8.45 and I am going to build an exercise. This is established for me personally, but this is an example. <laughs> I'm going to build an exercise habit and every day at 8.45, I'm going to go do something. Right. Now, what would be the things that get in the way of that? You run late. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm not yet a person who actually yeah. does that. So I develop rules that I can say that help me establish that as an identity. So let's say, for example, you call me and you're like, hey, Britt, let's go out for a coffee. And I say, oh, I'd love to, but I actually have a rule that I don't do anything before 11 o'clock. Mm. I don't take any appointments or I, I don't do any catch-ups before 11. So I know I'm going to go exercise. I'm going to come home and have a shower and I'm going to get ready for my work day and then I'm going to sit down and I'm going to hook in. So my rule is I just don't do anything before then. If you're trying to eat well, you get asked out for dinner and people say, what are you going to order? And you say, I actually have a rule, but I always order the most healthy thing off the menu. Mm. You start building rules for yourself that actually support you being able to establish the things without getting pushback from the people around you. And especially in like corporate environments, that's huge. When yeah. you're trying to copy and mimic, you set yourself rules that no one can refute because we all know what it's like. We go, oh, I'm not drinking in November. And people are like, oh, come on, like one drink, like da, da, da. And like you yeah. get that pushback. Whereas you say, I actually have a rule that I'm not drinking in November. Yeah. And it's not a discussion. And it takes the emotion out of it. It's just like, yeah, it's a rule. It's a rule. Like, These are the rules I live by. And it's not open for discussion. It's, you know, yep. it's, this is what it is because this is what I'm choosing for me. Exactly. So yeah. on the back of your values audit, you develop rules. I love that. Yeah. The next thing that really helps people is Jim Quick has a theory that every single person is driven in their life by one dominant question. And that question can change over time. But in, at any given time, you have one question. So for example, he worked with Will Smith. Will Smith's question was, how do I make every moment more magical? And he said he would get on set and he'd like, bring music and he'd like bring like aliveness and joy to everyone or he'd bring a round of coffees or he'd come in and he would just try and squeeze the nectar out of everything. And then he also said he worked with other people who were like, why does this always happen to me? Or why is life so hard? Mm -hmm. And then they will see life and live life through that lens. So what I love to help people do is establish what is the dominant question that you currently live by and also what is the one that you want to have? Because there's going to be a set of things in your life yeah. that create a, a dissonance. So mine is, what am I made of? What is my potential? I'm, I'm so driven by that. Like if in my, like my, my mind has done so much wiring around this over the course of my life that if I go for a run and I'm like, I'm going to go for 10Ks and I get to 10Ks, I'm like, yeah, but I bet I could do 10.1. I will always do more than what I say that I will do because I am consistently proving to myself that I am made of more than I think I am. And it mm. drives me so much. That hasn't always been true. I haven't always been that way. Well, you've built enough evidence that that it is exactly. true now. Yeah. It and is that's true the evidence now. piece, right? Like, yep. and this comes back to your point around 1% better every day. Cause if you show yep. up for the 1%, every 1% you gain is another 1% of evidence that you can exactly. do the thing. And that's where 
motivation also is driven from because the more evidence you have that you can do the thing the more motivated you are to do it exactly yeah I love that and that's I was actually just thinking about like the question that kind of dominates my life at the moment Mm. and I think I think my question kind of shifted in the last couple of months but it's like wouldn't it be nice if Mm. like I don't know if that's the kind of question you think like that you kind of it can be anything but it's like wouldn't it be nice if and it's almost that it is almost like that potential question you have like what am I made of but it's like wouldn't it be nice if like and this is a manifestation question for me because I can get very caught up in but I can't have that or that's not possible for me or Mm. I can't create that mostly when I don't have the evidence to prove that I have it Mm -hmm. already but something that I talk about with my clients is there is proof you can transfer proof you can transfer proof from other things to prove like to give evidence and so I think that's what really drives my question like yeah that's the question that kind of drives me right now it's like wouldn't it be nice if and even if I just think like small moments like with Jake or like with our Mm -hmm. little family it's like wouldn't it be nice if we went and did this like oh wouldn't it be nice if it's almost like a little magical moment question like with you know how can I make every moment more magical but Mm -hmm. yeah it's just like a lovely and it's and it feels like a very easeful question like it's it's quite light it's quite Mm -hmm. and it's also expansive like wouldn't it be nice if like wouldn't that be nice if like wouldn't it be nice if you know (laughs) like wouldn't that be nice (laughs) yes and it's it's so important because I look back at my life and I've kind of done a little timeline journey on this and I've looked at the different seasons of my life what was driving me then what was my dominant question then and I remember when I became a mum because there's no shame if you don't have an awesome question the majority of the people I work with by the way have negative questions mm. like largely unwanted questions and so it's not to be like oh is yours inspiring like it's not about mm. that because I look back at when I became a mum I had not long been with my partner we were pregnant with twins we moved internationally. I knew no one. I knew nothing about being a mom. I had my babies premature. And I remember just being so dominated by this feeling of like, when will it get better? Oh my gosh. That was my whole postpartum experience too. Oh my And you Lord. can imagine how that drives yeah. your experience of life because every time something hard happens, you're like, oh my God, when will this get better? And you're looking at it through that lens. Now, when something hard happens, I'm like, Hmm. What am this I? Is, this is hard. This is a chance to prove what I'm made of. Yeah. Oh wow, that is powerful. It's really powerful, and that that's through very incremental. It is. It's absolutely been one percent better every day. It's really been that. But I look back. You know, I remember in my late teens where I had that really really hard time. I just remember thinking like, I'm not destined for anything. Like, mm. I remember thinking, what am I going to make of my life? But not in a positive way. Yeah. It wasn't like, what am I going to do with my life? This is amazing. It was like, wow, what am I going to do here? Yeah. And I was really driven by that fear of mm. how am I possibly going to like pick my myself up in my life? So I think that it's really great when you can identify what that question is and identify what you actually want it to be. And find the little actions that are going mm. to help take you in that direction. So yeah, the rules, the dominant question, the is it true and the values audit are just great starting points. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And also like if you do figure out your question and it is an unsupportive question, like I try yep. not to use positive or negative, but like an unhelpful or unsupportive question and your ideal question is too big. Like it's like, I can't imagine that. 
Yep. What is a 1% better question? Mm-hmm. That yes. just moves me. It's like you can still have the ideal question there, but if it's too big, again, the brain will shut down and it won't do it because it's too much. It's yep. get overwhelmed. It's like, it doesn't have the evidence. It'll just be like, yep. nope, too hard, easy path, please. Yep. So yeah, like how do we break it down and make it feel stretchy, yep. but not too uncomfortable? So one of the great ways that you can do that is when you identify your question, if you're like, that is not a question I want, <laughs> how am I going to reshape this? You're actually going to use the, is it true practice? Yes. So let's say, let's say, for example, someone's question is like, why is life so hard? And so then something hard happens at work and they're like, oh my God, why is life so hard? They're instantly going to go, it's hard for these reasons. So the primitive brain will step in and it will say something like, it's hard because you haven't worked hard enough. You need to do more. It's because your conditioning was horrible. Your parents didn't love you. Da, 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 da. And it's going to go on all these little tangents about all the reasons why life is so hard for you. What you're going to do is you're going to, you're going to notice. You're going to be aware because you know now. You're going to go straight into, is it true? Is that actually true? What are mm-hmm. the facts? What's the cost of believing this? Am I willing to pay this cost? What am I going to do about it? And the more you challenge that, what you'll notice is you challenge it enough and enough and enough and enough and you just keep going that question will start to morph because mm. at no point in my life did I actually decide on those questions they became my question from my actions oh I love that so when you challenge it repeatedly it will evolve it will upgrade naturally mm. with the with the new software the new thoughts the new beliefs it will it will slowly upgrade and change so one of the great tests can be nail your question today figure out what it is revisit this in six months yeah yeah i love that and that's the same with your values audit like that needs to be Absolutely. checked in every every Constantly. three to six months like once a know, season yeah yep. start people, of every season people think that values stay the same and they actually don't there might be some values that do stay consistent mm-hmm. but the way that they show up and are applied in life completely may change depending on season oh my like, gosh okay. like a postpartum health is completely oh. different to like five years out of postpartum or like pre-kids Pre, like yeah. health looks different in all of those seasons so it's like it might be health is the value but like yeah what does it look like but also that's also consideration for how can you show up for that value in different seasons because one yeah. thing that comes up a lot with my clients is they're defining success based on when they were 21 yes. and it's like yes but you're 35 with three children yeah. trying to work a full-time job trying to be healthy trying to do all these things like you can't define success based on that like you're different like the the elements of that success definition that is the same but how it manifests and how you now show up and bring that to life has to be different because you are different and like and I guess that's the thing that we like we just don't check in with it's like how have I evolved and changed and how Mm -hmm. is what I measure and define myself by evolved and changed Yes. Because this is what also creates the the incongruence, the dissonance, the disconnect. Yes. Um, oh my reflection. gosh. Okay. We can like, we, <laughs> we can could like, keep we going. Could go, yeah, we could go for hours. So thank you so, so much. Like this has been an amazing conversation and I think I will definitely need to bring you back because I I want <laughs> I think I want to dive more into like templates and, um, and, and yes. things like that. Cause I God, we didn't that, even get there. I know. So many <laughs> chats. We'll have to, we'll have to jump into there. So let's just recap on your, your top four. So values audit, your, is it true exercise, your 1% better every day. Was that the fourth one? 
no, set um, one. Th- set yourself rules. Oh, sorry, set yourself rules. That's the one. Um, and figure and, out your dominant question. And figure out your dominant question. Amazing. So I've got some staple questions to okay. just, just to close off some quick fire questions. Go on. What is your number one energy filling practice you do consistently? Rigorous physical activity. Yes, you do that very much. <laughs> it's like mute that story, mute that story. No, I'm I just do kidding. not like this. No, I love it. I love it. And also because you live in um in the Gold Coast, so you're like yes in tremendous heat, which I always find very funny when you're like dripping in sweat. Oh my god. <laughs> girl I'm so hot all the time like I'm from Victoria I love the heat but like the humidity is just yep. next level here and yep. I'm just not built <laughs> yeah my hair would not do well there um second question what is the one mindset reminder you focus on to boost your confidence that follow through is the key to confidence mm, action absolutely and what is one boundary that you uphold that supports you to be your best Ooh, one one boundary Mm, my god designated time with my children or designated time to move for anything Mm, I love that and again that speaks to what you value right yes yeah I love that that is amazing oh thank you so much Brett this has just been exceptional in so so many ways and we could have gone on for so much longer Uh, but where can people get in touch with you if they want to know more about you elite mind co uh, where can they get in touch and i'll pop those in the show notes as well yes so usually on instagram um i mean you can absolutely send me an email or get on my website so it's brittanywild.com on my website you'll you'll find all the links to everything from there but uh, my instagram is i am brittany wild um, or you can find the elitemind.co more educational content on the elite mind co more like personal here's me living my life over on Brittany wild so yeah they're the two places to go and i'd love to hear from anyone that anyone that listens yes please if you have loved this episode if you've loved what Brittany has shared what she's spoken to then please let us know and on spotify you can even pop it as an answer to the question at the bottom Uh, but also following Brittany on Instagram is just so inspirational. Just you, you really embody everything that you talk about, everything that you share. So, and that's just what I love, you know, and you talk so much about embodiment being the ethos behind business. So that's just something that I, that I value thank a lot. You. So thank you again so much. I really appreciate your time and what you've shared. And I know listeners will get so much from this. So thank you so much for having me. Happy listening, everyone. Woo-hoo. Thank you for listening to this episode of Lead With Less, the podcast for confident professionals with me, Tash Peterson. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. As a thank you, each month, one lucky reviewer will get a 45-minute one-to-one coaching session with me where you will get the tools and strategies to lead with less burnout, overwhelm, and self-doubt. And if you know anyone who could benefit from listening to the show, then please do share this with them and help me reach as many confident professionals as possible.